questions this morning. We've spent the last several weeks looking at uh, Romans 12 through 15 and looking at what it means to create a culture of gospel transformation. And so uh, we'll finish that up this morning. Before uh, we start, though, just a couple of announcements. Number one, um, two weeks from today, we're going to do something that's really significant um, for the long-term health of our church, and that is we are going to introduce to you and recognize in a more, I guess, official way. We've done this since the beginning in an unofficial way, but recognize who our leaders are, and so you can understand that kind of like behind the scenes, how our church function and how we develop a vision for going forward. Next Sunday, I will teach on church leadership and the responsibilities of, of leadership within the church. And then the following Sunday, um, we'll recognize who those people are. I will tell you this right now that um, we will not, we have not, and we will not appoint people it's not me um, appointing people that I think are just really nice people. We have decided our church leaders based on who people are and what they've already done. So there's a pattern of leadership in their lives already. And so that will make it, um, I think it will be somewhat clear for you that who those people will be when we announce them. But um, something we've been thinking, um, I've been thinking about and praying about for a very long time. And so now as a church coming up on five years old, it's time to do that in a more um, visible, recognizable way. <clears throat> so I look forward to that. Romans uh, chapter 15 this morning, we'll finish our, our study. And what, what often happens when we study the Bible is we think in our mind of certain parts of the books as like the key parts, and other parts don't seem quite as significant. Most people, when they think of Romans, they think of Romans 1, Romans chapters 1 through 8 as theologically significant, and it is. Um, Romans 9 through 11 as really hard to understand, and then Romans 12 through the rest of the book, 16, we just don't pay too much attention to, specifically 14, 15, 16. But this morning, I really do believe, as I study this more and more, there really are some significant truths here, and I do, um, I do in my own heart, I feel like I say this every Sunday, but I, it is true that this is really important, and that I do, um, I don't take this time for granted, I, I um, you all hold me accountable to study and prepare and pray, because I have to come up here and, and, and share things with you, and so I, I do take that seriously, and um, I want us to be able to grow together as a church family in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So just to remind you, Paul writes Romans not to a person, but to a group of people like us. He writes to a church, a community of people. So we have the responsibility as a church, as a church family, to think through this and live this out. And Paul wraps up, he's finishing up his letter, and he's really talking now about a lifestyle that he wants the people to live in Rome. So there's a church just like us, a group of people living in Rome. 
And Paul is saying in these remaining verses, this is the lifestyle I want you to develop. And so that's what we'll be talking about this morning. We'll be talking about the gospel priorities. Uh, let me back up and say this. The priorities of a gospel lifestyle. Okay? The priorities of a gospel lifestyle. And we'll look at it in three ways. Number one, knowing who you are. Number one, knowing who you are. Number two, redeeming your ambitions. And last, number three, sharing your life. A gospel lifestyle begins with knowing who you are, redeeming your ambitions, and sharing your life. And so, as Joel read, we'll look through some of this um, beginning in Romans chapter 15, verse 15. And we'll begin with this, that if you want to live a gospel lifestyle, you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are, and your life is not about what you do. There's a really significant distinction as a follower of Christ. Today, um, you know, one of the common things we do when we introduce ourselves to somebody is we ask what you do for a job. And the tendency for all of us is to identify ourselves by what we do. And Paul is saying, Christian friends, you need to rethink this. That is not who you are. Your identity is not about what you do. It is who you are. The foundational truth of living out the Christian lifestyle is that you, we are not, we are not Malibuites who are Christians. We are Christians who happen to live in Malibu. We are not known for the place we live or the job we have or the money we make or the things we've accomplished. You are known by your identity in Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Verse 14, he begins by saying this. <clears throat> I myself am satisfied with you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So he's saying this then. He's saying, my friends in Rome, I have poured into your life through this writing of this book, and you are in a good place. You have acquired, <clears throat> you have acquired knowledge. You are living this out. But I want to remind you of this. You see, we, as a Christian, we gradually acquire knowledge and information about what it means to follow Christ. But Paul is saying this, just because you know truth, it doesn't mean that it is functioning as an important part of your life. That we can lose enthusiasm, that we can lose our, our desires to live out the truth that we know. And so he's reminding them of this. Paul says this, On some points I have written to you very boldly by way of a reminder because of the grace given to me by God. Here's Paul's point. This is our identity. More than anything else, the gospel is about grace given to you. Grace to you. That is who you are. You are a recipient of grace. And we, we've talked about this a lot, we are programmed in our mind and how we live our lives to identify ourselves by the things that we do. 
And Paul says, my friends, don't do that. It's about who you are. You are first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wants to press into their hearts. That you define yourself by who you are in Christ, not by the things you do. And that's a tremendous temptation that we all need to be reminded of. That your identity is not based on the things you've accomplished. We live in a world where people, we live in a community where people have accomplished amazing things. Highly successful people, ambitious people. And the trap that we can all fall into is that that becomes our identity. That's who you are. And Paul is saying, I want you to cherish the truth that grace has been given to you. Grace is given to you. That Jesus Christ is given to you. And the only thing you can do with something that's been given to you is you can either receive it or reject it. One of the problems, the, the challenge we face when someone gives you a gift is that pride sometimes prevents you from receiving the gift. And Paul is just reminding the people there that this is who we are. This is who you are. You are a community of people that have been given grace. Paul goes on to say, he says this, verse 16, <clears throat> to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That's who Paul is. All of who he is, all of this man we call the Apostle Paul, his identity is first found in who he is in Jesus Christ. And it shapes your life. It shapes your lifestyle. You can think of it this way, that your ability to live out the Christian lifestyle authenticates the truth of it. If you're in your 20s this morning and you profess to be a follower of Christ, your lifestyle authenticates that claim. And each generation has somebody that's looking up to you. The kids in the church Look up to the, the next older group. The 20-year-olds that aren't yet married, look up to the 30-year-olds who are married. The 30-year-olds are just starting their kids, their families, are looking to the 40-year-olds. And so on we go. And we say this, the challenge, Paul's reminding them, is your lifestyle authenticates truth. And so he's saying the most important, the foundational truth of Christianity is what God has done for you. And he's given you his son, Jesus Christ. He's given you grace. And we can either receive it or reject it. And based on that determination, your identity will be found. And so the priority of a gospel lifestyle is your identity, number one, is found in who you are, not the things you do. We talked about this a few Sundays ago. The things you do open up doors for you. Certain levels of popularity, of beauty, of athleticism opens up doors for you. And the Christian community, the church family says, you know what, I understand that, but that is not who we are. That is not the mark. That is not the identifying mark. If you have accomplished things in your life, certain things, that opens up doors for you. 
the uniqueness of the Christian message is you cannot open up doors for you, but you must receive grace. That is who you are. All right, so number one, the lifestyle or the priority of a gospel lifestyle is knowing who you are in Christ, not the things you do. Number two, the priority of a gospel lifestyle requires a redeemed ambition. And this is really interesting. When you look at the Bible, the Bible is actually filled with completely, totally crazy, ambitious people. And when we think about it, sometimes we have different viewpoints of we, that word. And I can tell you this, that most of the time in the Bible, it's a negative word. It's used in a negative sense. Um, a few times this week, I, uh, and I'm not a huge Twitter person, but I did a Twitter search on ambition, and all kinds of really interesting things came up. The one that caught my attention, though, uh, even this morning, was hate is the fuel for my ambition. Written by, best I can tell, a young African-American man. And ambition, ambition understood the right way brings glory to God. Ambition taken the wrong way will corrupt your soul. Let's look at this just for a moment. I'll show you where I'm getting this information. We'll begin with this. Um, skip up just for a moment to verse 20. Chapter 15, verse 20. Paul says this, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. The Apostle Paul, if you don't know this, was an extremely ambitious man. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn just very quickly to Galatians chapter 1. And Paul says this. Chapter 1, verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my, own, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Paul wanted it all. He was rising up in, uh, in Judaism as a Pharisee, as a leader, was tremendously ambitious. And what happens often, even in the culture that we live in today, we have two extremes. We have some people that are extremely ambitious, that want it all, that want to climb the ladder. We have some people in our community they have no ambition, that want to just live off their family or their friends. They have a, an ambition to create a lifestyle of comfort and laziness, and that's it. Paul is saying, is saying something very significant here, <clears throat> and that is that we must redeem ambition. I hope we had we'd better be a church, a family of people that have ambitious desires. And I say that very carefully, and we need to be very careful about um, clarifying exactly what I mean by that. Okay, so let's start, <clears throat> let's start with a negative example. I had actually had some quotes, and I was going to read them, and then I, I apologize, I forgot them. I had them on my phone. I left it in the truck. I will say this, though. I... I have found a few that I was going to read them. <clears throat> oh, here's one of them. You're going to know who it is. I read it to my wife, and she started, well, kind of laughing, but also a sneer. 
Every woman on The Apprentice flirted with me, either consciously or unconsciously. Who was that? Trump, right? I had all these, tr Trump, I, you know, I don't, obviously I, I haven't met him, but all kinds of uh, quotes about ambition that some of them were actually useful. And some of them were as narcissistic and self-centered as uh, really anything I've read. And so what, here's what happens. When you have something that has tremendous potential for good and evil, we have to be very clear about it. Okay, so Paul, he starts his life as an extremely ambitious man. So that's fact, truth number one, an ambitious man. Before I give you another example, just some research that's been out more recently about men, young men particularly, and how they're struggling with ambition, struggling with um, career choice and education, that there are more and more women now. They're outpacing men with college degrees, with graduate degrees, and employment. And so um, it is important to me to encourage, to exhort, to strengthen young men here to be ambitious, to redeem your ambitions, to understand the danger of ambitions, but to be a man of action and make things happen in your life instead of being passive. All right, let's turn. I'm going to, um, I think, Nate, you want to put up the uh, Ecclesiastes passage? Here's, let me give you one other example, okay? This is really interesting. Here's there's all kinds of negative examples in the Bible of dangerous ambition, all right? This is our famous great lover boy of the Old Testament, Solomon. It goes on and on and on about his ambitions, okay? So here's another negative example before we go positive. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4. I made great works. You can count how many eyes there are. I don't know. I lost count. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which water in the forest of the growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions, herds and flocks, more than anyone else in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure, kings and provinces. I got singers, men and women, concubines, the delight, of, uh, the delight of children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Wisdom, remain, wisdom re remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all of my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. There cannot be anything more clear than the danger of ambition right there. And the, the tragedy, the tragedy of, the, the tragic mistake that people make is an unwillingness to learn. 
how many times people, person after person after person after person, who achieve great things in this world and are left unsatisfied. Person after, I'm not going to name people this morning, but just if you've been alive in the last 20, 30, 40 years, musician, athletes, actors, whatever level, businessmen, people reach the highest levels and it leaves you broken. You have got to be crystal clear on your understanding of ambition and the danger of it because it feeds our selfish desires. It feeds our desire for self-glory. It feeds our desire to be comfortable and put ourselves as number one. It's extremely danger, dangerous. And the life of Solomon is a tragic example of a man who accomplished so much but was left empty inside. It's rather profound and worth thinking through. Your desires, the things you want to accomplish in your life. Because of our fallenness, we all, the pattern, the pattern of thinking that material things will satisfy goes on and on and on. There needs to be a break in the clarity of understanding. Just some, some helpful things here to help us understand um, ambitions. All right? So, number one, to help you understand ambition. Ambition. Here's the ambition of your, of your life. I pray you are all very ambitious people. Start with this. Start with a changed life. If you have a desire to be ambitious, and I hope you all do, start with making changes in your life. Be ambitious for a Christ-like life. Don't be ambitious for more material things. Be ambitious for a changed heart that will work itself out in how you live your life. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, <clears throat> I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you have been called. This should be our ambition. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make it your ambition to live in the footsteps of Christ, to follow His path. Your ambition begins with your own heart, not acquiring more money or more things. Number two, allow God to shape your ambitions. Number two, allow God to shape your ambitions. And that might include one of the worst words that none of us like to hear. Some of us are ambitious to get married, to find that job, to do, our, to do our dreams. And sometimes the worst word of all is the word wait. Wait. Over and over and over again, specifically in the Psalms, the Bible says, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Psalms 25.3, Psalms 37.7, and I can go on and on and on. But the idea of this 
of waiting upon the Lord. It will purify your motives. Do you really want to do this? Are you sure you want this? It's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of growth. It's a sign that you are growing in your understanding of the Lord. It's one of the hardest things. I don't care how old you are. We all want what we want, and we want it now. I'll just share briefly how this works out itself out in my own life. Um, there is a part of me that would love to do just this and just be the pastor of this church. And that's just not the situation right now. I, I work as another job to help support my family financially. And you know what? God says, wait. You wait and you trust me. I don't care what it is. Everyone has things that we want. One of the most important things you can do is understanding this truth of waiting upon the Lord and his timing. Okay? So you allow God to shape your ambitions when you can wait on the Lord. Number two, you can allow God to shape your ambitions when you delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This radically changes ambition. When I say redeem ambition, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about make it your ambition to have a changed life, learning how to wait on the Lord, and number three, learning how to delight yourself in the Lord and your ambitions, your life will change. Paul is talking his final thoughts to these people living in Rome and applying it for us today. He's saying this, I want you to develop a lifestyle of what it means to follow Christ. It's not about what you do, it's about who you are. It's not about you having your own dreams, your own ambitions. No, it's about allowing Christ to redeem your ambitions. Starting with a changed life, learning to wait upon Him, finding your delight in Him, and that will change the direction of your life. I read somewhere this week, I don't recall the author, and it wasn't, this is not an exact quote, but it's something similar, and the person said this, the grace of Jesus is ambitious, it's intended to overflow and never stand still. That is the life of Paul. He was this man on a mission for his life. And the mission was to preach the gospel, to preach the good news to people who have not yet understood it. And that's what he goes on to say. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to places. I want to go to Spain. I want to preach the gospel where it has not yet been preached. The grace that God gives you is not intended to stop with you. It's intended to overflow in your life. Grace is never designed to stand still. Bring, bring grace into your ambitions. That's what Paul is saying here. The last thing that Paul is saying is that the priorities of a gospel lifestyle are revealed through generosity. Are revealed through generosity. These Ambition and generosity, many times in the world's eyes, they are the antithesis of each other. They don't go hand in hand. But a redeemed understanding of ambition shows us this. 
Here's what Paul says back in Romans chapter 15. Verse 22 says this, the reason why I have um, been offered, excuse me, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for my work in these regions, um, and since I have longed for you many years in coming to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Paul is clearly saying to them, here are the expectations that I need your help to get the gospel to go to other places. It's really interesting. There's a partnership that he's asking with the church. And then he goes on and says this, verse 25, at present, however, so he's delaying Spain, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. So there are poor people living in Jerusalem. They need help. And Paul is going to go and help them. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. When Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that you are to live your life as a living sacrifice, he's talking about all of who you are. And I know it's... Um, Sometimes the, the Bible expectations are deeply challenging. And, it, and let me even back up and say this. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, the expectations for you increase. The expectations for you increase. The longer you've been walking with Jesus, the more is expected of you. And Paul, here's the thing about this is, this is just so significant. Paul being this highly ambitious man, an entrepreneur, a man who wants to go out and accomplish things and plant church. He wants to go to the hardest place. He wants to go to a place where there are no churches. He wants to be the point man. But we see in Paul's heart that he cares for people from where he started. There is a generosity in his heart. And it's not... Um, it's, not, there's, it's not a plea of like, hey, you people, um, please financially support the church. It's, it's, not, it's not that simple. Okay? It's all of your life. It's sharing your life. It's giving time. Anybody can write a check. And yes, even as Paul says here, churches are only supported by your generosity. Yes, that is true. But it's more complicated than that. A gospel lifestyle is marked by giving. giving your, here's what's even harder than writing a check sometimes, right? <clears throat> giving your time. Sharing your life with somebody who's going through a hard time. You need to know, maybe be reminded, because you probably all know this, that people, especially in our Southern California culture, especially in Malibu, we were pretty good. Maybe some of us are very skilled at looking good on the outside. But people are broken and hurting, and people hide it because they're embarrassed, or there's shame, or there's guilt. Paul is pressing deep 
into the lives of the people here in Rome. It's not some little form to just give this amount of money and then we're all good. No, it's way more complicated than that. You need to give your life. Yes, that includes finances, but more importantly than that even, it's loving people and caring for people and be willing to be inconvenienced for people. Paul, just, he's so clear on this. He's going backwards, okay? Some of you, I know, you're very ambitious people. You don't ever want to go backwards. Why would you go backwards? Well, I'll tell you why. Paul's going backwards to help the poor because he loves them. It's a major inconvenience for Paul, but he cares about them. That is the beauty of this passage, and it, it, it really will shape your life about knowing who you are. If you ask a person again, who are you? That's a confusing question. Who are you? And your mind goes to your job. When Paul talks about redeeming ambition, that answers the question, why do you do what you do? These are very important questions. Why do you do what you do? And Paul says, he concludes by saying, you must be a people of generosity who share and give your life to meet the needs of other people. And here's a beautiful part of this. Verse 27 says this, there's no grumbling here, for they were pleased to do it. He shared with them the expectations and the people were pleased to do it. Why? Because they understand the gospel. Because they understand that grace has been given to them. That grace has been given to them. And as a result of a changed heart, you are able to give. One of my favorite quotes, <clears throat> one of my heroes, Jim Elliott. Maybe you've heard of him. He passed away many years ago. And he said this, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We are not, we might be seen as fools, but we are not. When you give away what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose, that should be the identifying mark of the body of Christ. That's who we are. We understand that, that we love each other. The motive from this always comes from God giving his son to you first. The ultimate giver in this world is God himself. The, the verse that most people know, John 3.16, that God gave, that God gave. God gave his son. And that is the source of our life. That's how we live. This morning, we're going to do communion, and, and we've been talking, uh, a few of us in church have been talking that we want to be more regular with communion because we have to understand that I am not standing up here preaching to you moralism, that you just need to be better people. What I'm saying to you, that the source of your life is Jesus Christ, and that he gives himself for you to empower you to live the lifestyle that he has called you to live. And so this morning, we're gonna, Heather's going to come up. And really, I just want you to think about just those three main things. 
knowing who you are, your identity is that you are in Christ. It's not about your job or the things you have accomplished. And that I want you to leave here with a redeemed ambition that waits upon the Lord, that delights in the Lord. And we leave here with joyful, generous hearts, people who are willing to share their lives because we love each other. Let's pray. Father, we, we do love you, and we thank you for the clarity of your word. Father, we, uh, we live here. This is our home here in Malibu. And we pray that through the power of your spirit that we would develop a lifestyle, not just short-term <coughs> little, little things that we get excited about, but a lifestyle that represents you. I pray that you would just press these truths into our hearts. You would redeem our ambitions. That you would make them glorifying and honoring to you. And I pray that we would be a community of people here that share our lives with each other and with people in our community. That we give. We give our time. We give our money. We share our lives with each other. We thank you for first giving to us your perfect son, Jesus, so that we can have life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, gatherers. Um, this morning, before we take communion, um, I think it's valuable to be reminded of a few things. Um, there's one, it's kind of a common communion passage um, that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that I'm going to just read, skim through briefly. Um, he writes to the Corinthian church who is having a hard time um, at, their, at their beginning. Um, he says, When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. Do you not have houses to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Um, I think in, in this short little section, Paul has two very meaningful reminders. The first is a hard one. The first is Jesus and his reputation, this very central thing that he was about, giving his body and blood for you, is far more important than your petty and selfish desires for the other people that you go to church with and the other people that you would join in, in eating this and partaking in this with. And so Paul says, remember that Christ's reputation is paramount. And you, when you proclaim that death until Christ comes, how you proclaim that is incredibly meaningful. And if you're going to be petty about it, don't do it. If you don't get it, that this is grace that he gives you, 
don't do it. Come and do it right. Proclaim his death with grace in your heart and with understanding of what Christ has given you. And second, as he invites you to participate in this act that is grace itself, with grace in your heart, um, he speaks to a very fundamental truth, which is summed up in a lot of common phrases, but my favorite of which is comes from the book To Kill a Mockingbird, when Atticus tells Scout, you don't understand a man until you've climbed into his skin and walked around in a while. And when we apply that to Jesus, what, that when we don't pre- pretend that we understand Jesus until we've climbed in his skin, until we've walked around in grace trying to give that to people, we don't understand the grace that we've been given. Um, so when Christ invites you up to, the, up to the front and says, here, this is my body and blood given for you, that when you enact that, when we enact that together with gracious hearts towards one another, um, then we fulfill what Christ came to do that when we co-participate in his grace, um, we actually come to share with Christ in something beautiful. Um, So this morning, whether you need the hard words, the stern reminder, um, or whether you need the kind words that say, come participate with me, um, we invite you to communion this morning, um, and we're glad to share it with you. So um, during the next couple songs, as you're ready, after you've examined yourself and come to remind yourself of the grace that Christ has um, given to all of us, then come come take communion with us.
darkest places 